We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, folks, the Apostle John disagrees. He taught his readers that they could, in this present lifetime, before death, have the assurance of going to heaven when they did die. In fact, John is stating that this is the primary reason that he wrote this letter, to help these dear spiritual children of his come to the point in their spiritual lives where they know that they have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I hope so. How many times do you hear people give this answer when you ask them the question, will you go to heaven when you die? Over the next few messages, we're going to be looking at the book of 1 John and talking about the assurance of salvation. God wants us to know for sure that we are saved. Not hope so, but know so. Maybe you are struggling with how to be saved. Maybe you are fighting with guilt over some of the things that you have done since professing faith in Christ. Maybe someone has convinced you that you can lose your salvation by doing the wrong things or not doing the right things. This series is for you. You are listening to Verse by Verse, a radio ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel of Clearwater, Florida. We would love to have you come visit us for a service sometime. We are located at 1893 Sunset Point Road, Clearwater, Florida, halfway between U.S. 19 and the beaches. You can get directions and service times at our church website, lakesidechapel, all one word, dot com, or call us at 727-441-1714. We would really love to help you grow in your relationship to Jesus Christ. Our Bible teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff. Let's listen together to today's important message from God's Word. Years ago, the hymn writer Fanny Crosby wrote these wonderful words, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. What great words. What a great truth. To have the assurance that we know Jesus Christ is our Savior is so wonderful, she said, it's like a taste of heaven itself. You know, though, that isn't the experience of every Christian. There are some believers in Christ, genuine believers, who do not have the assurance of their salvation. Maybe, maybe you're one of them. Some true Christians struggle with intense doubts concerning whether or not they really have come to saving faith in Christ. And as a result of this lack of assurance, they also lack joy, they lack security in their Christian lives. And instead of enjoying their relationship with Christ, they're constantly troubled, even worried over their spiritual status because they don't know if at death they're going to heaven or they're going to hell. And that's a pretty heavy thought. Now, as we've said, there are many Christians who are in this state of lacking the assurance of the salvation, but they don't have to be. No true Christian has to lack assurance because the Bible tells us that we can know that we have 
eternal life. And one of the most prominent places in all of Scripture that says this is 1 John. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. 1 John 5, 13. John says, these things, the whole book he's talking about now, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to these dear Christians who already are believers. He said, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that, here's John's overall purpose in writing this letter, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, this is a verse of monumental importance because it tells us that as those who believe in the Son of God, we can know that we do have eternal life. I want you to know, this is contrary to what many people think. It is contrary to what Roman Catholicism teaches. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that it is impossible for anyone right now on earth to know that they have eternal life. They would say it's presumptuous. It's impossible. And yet, John said that we can know this. Writing in his book, Faith Works, John MacArthur, not the Apostle John, but John MacArthur says this about Roman Catholicism and the assurance of salvation. He writes, Catholic theology sees salvation as a joint effort between God and the sinner. The outcome must be in doubt right up to the end. If a person fails spiritually before salvation is complete, that person forfeits eternal life since no one can know with certainty whether he or she will have the strength to endure to the end, no one can really be certain of heaven. He is just stating that is what Roman Catholicism teaches. Well, folks, the Apostle John disagrees. He taught his readers that they could, in this present lifetime, before death, have the assurance of going to heaven when they did die. In fact, John is stating that this is the primary primary reason that he wrote this letter, to help these dear spiritual children of his come to the point in their spiritual lives where they know that they have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the question is this, why would John feel so compelled to help these Christians in the area of assurance? Perhaps a better way to ask this is, why would all of these Christians, an entire church, that he was writing to, struggle in this area of assurance. Now, when you read a verse like this, that's the kind of question you have to have. Why would an entire church have a struggle in this area? Well, let's remember the background of 1 John. These believers were being influenced by the dangerous Gnostic teachers, the Gnostic teachers who thought that knowledge was everything. In fact, if you look at 1 John 2, 19, you'll see this. Speaking of these Gnostic heretics, he says, they went out from us, which means that they were once a part of the church fellowship. But they went out from us, he says, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. So there were, there were men, there were individuals who at one time were in the, this church or these churches, and they left. And they, they abandoned the gospel. They went out, and John said, that's a good thing, because it shows that they never were really true Christians. However, apparently, having gone out of these churches, they still had contact with true believers and were influencing them. 
influencing them by the dangerous teaching. And what teaching might that be? Well, apparently, part of their teaching was that you can never have assurance of your salvation, or the fact they said that you can't know for certain. Now, let me, let me just back up and tell you what was going on here. The Gnostics, as their name implies, Gnostic means to know, claimed to know God because they had been enlightened by a certain knowledge, a deeper knowledge that nobody else had but them. But these false teachers didn't stop there. They didn't stop by merely claiming that their knowledge of these deep things meant that they knew God. What they did is they took it a step further and they looked down upon those who who were ordinary Christians in these churches who didn't have what they felt was inside information and they said that your lack of understanding, your lack of this divine truth means that you don't know God. You're not the enlightened ones. You haven't reached that point like we have and you can't know God because you don't know what we know. And there was a whole initiation ceremony into what this deeper knowledge was. But they said, you've never entered into the deep things of God. Therefore, you can't possibly know him like we do. Now, that's what was going on. And that's why these Christians were lacking assurance. They had people telling them, you can't have assurance. You're ignorant of the deep truths that we have. Now, does this sound somewhat familiar? It should. Because there are some people today within the ranks of Christendom who say some very similar things. They say something like this, you can't be a Christian if you haven't spoken in tongues, like I have. You can't be a Christian if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, like I have. You can't be a Christian if you don't have faith to be healed. I have all kinds of faith. I I can be healed if I needed that. Or you can't be a Christian if you haven't had this particular experience that I've had. Now, that's very similar. It's very similar. John is writing to correct this type of error and to deliver these dear Christians from the uncertainty of their salvation. I should say not the uncertainty of their salvation, but the uncertainty of the assurance of their salvation that the Gnostics have put upon them. That's why this whole church was influenced by this. He wants them to know that the Gnostics are absolutely wrong. They don't have any deeper knowledge, and they don't have deeper knowledge that makes them assured of knowing Christ. In fact, throughout this letter, he says they're liars. They don't know Christ. And what he wants these Christians to know, and he wants us to know, is that all we have to know is the gospel message, and we believe it. And we believe in Jesus Christ as the object of our faith for salvation, and we can know that we have eternal life. Question is, how do we know that we believe in Jesus? How do we know that our faith is real? How do we know that we've really been transformed? How do we know it's not just head knowledge and that's where it stays. How do we know that our faith and our confidence for our salvation has really been placed in Jesus Christ as the Bible teaches? Well, that's what we want to begin to discover tonight. So I want to read to you, if you look back now, 1 John chapter 2, I want to read to you verses 3 through 6. We're just going to begin to get into this tonight. We won't complete this passage, but it is one passage, and so I want you to see it. John says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments, John said, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been 
perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now, this is the first of a series of three tests that John gives, not, not once, but throughout this letter. He actually keeps coming back to these tests. And he gives three of these tests to determine, for us to determine if we're really saved. The other two tests, which we'll see as we go through this letter, are the tests of, of love. Do we really love the brethren? If we love the brethren, we know that we love God. Second test is the test of belief in Christ. Do we believe the right doctrine about Jesus Christ? But this is the first test, the first test that he mentions, and this is the test of obedience. Does the way that we live our lives indicate by our obedience to the Word of God that we have really come to know Jesus Christ? And the way that John presents this test is by giving us several truths about obedience, the importance of obedience to God. Tonight we're going to look at the first of these truths about obedience that John presents, and it is this. Obedience to God brings assurance of our salvation. That's why it's so important. Verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. John begins this section by stating that obedience to God's commandments is the basis for the assurance of our salvation. It isn't what saves us. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but it is the basis of assurance. But notice how John says this. Actually, notice how he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, by this we know that we have been born again. He doesn't say, by this we know that we have been saved. Now, he could have put it those ways, and that certainly would have been correct. But notice he specifically says, by this we know that we have come to know him. Notice here that John emphasizes what we know or what we can know. And the reason he put it this way is because the Gnostics made such a big deal about knowledge. So what John is doing in essence is saying, since knowledge is so important to these Gnostics, then let me tell you what the evidence of someone who has really come to know God, they obey him. The Gnostics did not obey him. In fact, they said, do whatever you want. And this emphasis on knowledge is actually a recurring theme, folks, in John's letter. He states it about 25 times. But right here in verse 3 is the first time he mentions the concept of knowing. And it's very important. So he says, we know, meaning we continually know and therefore have the continuous assurance that we have come into a relationship of knowing Christ in a personal way. In other words, we who are genuine Christians have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We actually know him, and we know that we've come to know him. We have a relationship, and we know it. Listen, we don't just know about Christ. I mean, we do know about him, but we don't know just about him. We know him in a relational way, and that's very important. This is not the only place in Scripture we read about the Lord. John 17, verse 3, is a marvelous verse. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they may know you. He's praying to the Father. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, to be a Christian 
is to know the Father and to know the Son. But this, you know what? This is precisely what God promised way back in the Old Testament. Let me have you turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. It is a key passage. It is a key passage. It is what is known as the New Covenant. God made an Old Covenant with Israel, the Mosaic Law. He said he will make someday a new covenant with Israel. Israel has not entered into that covenant yet, but we've entered into the spiritual aspect of it. And notice what it is. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. The Lord says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the lands of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, meaning that they broke the Mosaic law many, many times. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will, notice this, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. He means he'll give them a new heart. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now notice how God said that those who will come to him will have new hearts. He'll put his law within them. They'll want to obey him. They will obey him. And he equates that with knowing him. He said, no one will need to evangelize his neighbor, saying, know the Lord, come to know him. They'll already know him. And that is to say that those who know the Lord will know him and evidence by obedience, because obedience is the fruit or the expression of the new heart, the new nature. That's precisely what John is saying in his letter in verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. What John is teaching is that those who have come to know Jesus Christ know that they have come to know him because they keep his word. As I said before, it is not the keeping of his word that brings us into a relationship with him. That would be works righteousness, but it is that those who have really come to know him evidence that they know him by keeping his word. Now let's see what this means so there's no confusion. The word that is translated keep is an important word. And it speaks of watchful, observant obedience. Not talking about perfect obedience, but watchful, observant obedience. And it is also in the present tense, this watchful care is a way of life, John means. It's ongoing. In other words, it is a lifestyle he's talking about. It is the habit or the pattern of our way of life to be looking for ways to obey the Lord. And what are we watchful and concerned about obeying? Well, he says his commandments. What is he referring to? He is not referring to the Ten Commandments, at least not only the Ten Commandments, because he uses a different Greek word in the Gospel of John when he is referring to the law of Moses. You can look that up in chapter 1, verse 17, chapter 1, verse 45. By commandments, John simply means the Bible in general. It is a word that encompasses all. We would say the will of God, the word of God. Matthew 28, 
19 and, and 20, where Jesus said in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's the thought here. Obedience in general. Obedience in general. Now let's think through what John is, is telling us. He's telling us that our obedience to the Word of God is what brings us, not salvation, but the assurance of our salvation. That is to say, if we have really come to know Him, then we will have assurance of salvation if it is our lifestyle of obeying Him. Now, as I said, this doesn't mean that our obedience to Him is going to be perfect. John's already said in chapter 1 that if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. He also said that true believers do confess their sins. He said that in chapter 1, verse 9. So he's not talking about perfect obedience. But what he is saying is that true believers, although not perfect in their obedience, have a desire to obey. They have an ongoing, observant desire to obey. There is an attitude, he's saying, that is constantly on the lookout to do what the Word of God says. That's our lifestyle. Yes, we stumble and we feel bad about it, and we repent and confess, and we get up and we keep looking for ways to obey. It was John Calvin, the great reformer, who said, he does not mean those who wholly satisfy the law keep his commandments, but those who strive according to the capacity of human infirmity to form their life in obedience to God. That's exactly right. With, with even our infirmities and our capacity, with our human frailties, if our life is desirous of obedience to the Word of God, that's the proof that we're really saved. So the proof that God has regenerated you by giving you a new heart, a new nature, putting His law within your heart, is that you want to obey Him. And not just want to obey Him, but you will obey Him. You will. It'll be the general direction of your life. Because at salvation, God produces within us a new heart to obey. In and of ourselves, we don't have that heart. That's the pattern of your life from the time of salvation on. And as I said, when you do sin, you feel bad about it. And more than feel bad about it, you do something about it. You repent, you forsake it, you confess it to the Lord. And you then get up and you continue to have a watchful concern to obey the Word of God. If that's true in your life, then you can know that you have eternal life. That's the objective basis of your assurance. So let me be perfectly clear about this obedience. John is not telling us that keeping God's word, keep this in mind, is only, is only a matter of external obedience. It's more than that. It's also internal attitudes. There are so many Christians who think if they just do everything on the outside, that's fine. But John is not talking about that. The word of God tells us that we are to obey God outwardly, but we are to obey him inwardly, especially the, the real proof is when nobody is around to see what you're doing. That's the proof of obedience. So much of obedience involves inner attitudes that no one else sees, such as forgiving those who sin against us. That attitude that says, yes, I'm, I'm deeply hurt, they've sinned against me, but I've been so forgiven by God, I choose to forgive them. Or esteeming others more important than ourselves. Yes, I can choose to do this, or I can choose to put this person ahead of me. Being loving and concerned about the welfare of others. Refrain from gossiping about somebody. Not thinking the worst about them, but the best 
about others. That's the kind of stuff that goes on inwardly. And we ought to have that desire to do those things. Obedience to the Word of God is the prevailing mark of a true Christian. If you look inside your heart right now, would you say that you truly desire to obey God? Or are you in a battle of the will with what God wants compared to what you want? That's the place where it all starts. If God has truly changed our hearts through salvation, we will start wanting to do what pleases God. No one is asking for perfect obedience all the time, but the desire has to be there. We're really glad you've been part of our broadcast today. Verse by Verse exists to communicate the clear teaching of the Word of God without compromise. We want to help you connect with God in a very real and powerful way. Call us for help at 727-239-0306. We'd love to hear from you. We can answer your questions or just pray with you. We've made some very helpful resources available on our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can sign up for our quarterly newsletter and download messages for free. Would you consider sending a financial gift to our ministry so we can keep getting the message out? You can give over the phone, by mail, or through the website. We're so glad you've joined us today. We'll be talking about obedience again on the next broadcast. For Pastor Steve and all the staff, this is Jerry Pruden saying, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Verse by Verse.